One of the reasons why history is important is because it's being made in India right now and me and uh, way more people than me, my friends, are doing it. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Maybe I should say welcome back for this episode, and it's good to be back. I'm not going to dilly-dally here because I know you want to get into this thing, but I just want to let you know that while we've been on break over here, the Patron Podcast has not. That crew has been getting board meetings every month. I think they've got over 40 of them now. And going forward, we'll be putting out two episodes per month here on our regular feed and two episodes per month just for the patrons. By becoming a patron for as little as $3 a month, you're helping to keep this thing sponsor-free. You're helping me to continue doing these interviews in person and Honestly, after two years of recording remotely for other shows, I can say with 100% certainty that, at least in my opinion, in-person interviews are superior in every single way. The audio is better, the flow of the conversation is better, and the connection with the guest is so much better. You can support us and get bonus episodes at patreon.com slash powercompanypodcast or you can click the link right there in your pocket supercomputer. Okay, I just recently emceed the International Climbers Festival here in Lander. And every year I look forward to introducing the keynote speakers. And we had a great lineup this year, but it was one of the opening speakers, the folks who are basically warming up the crowd for the keynotes, who, in my opinion, stole the show. Today's guest is Prerna Dangi an Indian climber and force of nature. While at the festival with Veronica from the Climbing Initiative, who you can hear more from in episode 258, Prerna and I sat down to discuss the climbing scene in India and how it differs from here in the States, um, professional climbing versus advocacy and community building, and how she's finding her power. And if she's just finding it now, well, I am certainly tuned in to see what she does in the future. Let's get into it. You know, I don't usually do a lot of like, how did you get into climbing stuff with folks? But yeah. but being from India, and I know nothing about the Indian climbing scene, so I would love to hear a little bit about how you found climbing and got into it. Well, I was fortunate enough to go to a college where there was a climbing wall. Um, if I look back to like how I truly found climbing, it's probably from my village in Uttarakhand where, you know, everybody climbed trees to get fruits and to just mm -hmm. hang out. That's something that we did as kids. So outdoors, which is otherwise not a very accessible um thing to do to be in in India was easily available to me because I had a backyard in mm. the mountains despite being 
a kid brought up in Delhi, which is a big city. So I think that's where uh, I picked up the movement of, you know, vertical ascending. And I was, I've always been into sports. Um, I was playing basketball for university. And in our workouts, I would feel the need to do pull-ups for no reason at all. <laughs> and uh, I think I was really looking for something that uh, challenged me physically more than this, the conventional sports that I had been playing. And I, mm. I had also been playing a lot of team sports. So somewhere maybe I wanted more uh, individualistic where I could do whatever the hell I wanted with myself. Mm-hmm. And um, when I, f- like, it was it was the classic, saw a climbing wall, fell in love at, the fir- at first sight, kind of a thing, never looked back. Like, it was also because it was such a great combination of just, you know, strength and flexibility and, and make it look good, graceful. Right. And um, I really, I really like that. I mean, of course, when I, s- my first climb, I was good at it. And, you know, initially you like to do things that you're good at. Of course. But then I had like this years and years of plateau, which, Mm. uh, which taught me a lot more about climbing. So uh, yeah, that's, that's how I, I, I started. And I think I've been climbing for 10 years. So later when I began thinking about how much of this do I see in my life and why can't I think of my life without climbing? I think it was because since I was a kid, I developed such a strong attachment to movement mm-hmm. that I can not fathom my life without it. Like, you know, if I get a regular job in India. How far into climbing did you think I can't see my life without this? Well, I think my first year mm. of climbing. But, well, I was just out of college. I, I found climbing in college and then... um I was, you know, it was like something that I saw myself doing till I got really old as well. But. uh, You looked directly at me when you said getting old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, a question for you, though. How do you go and and what was the first experience like going from college wall um, to actually taking it outside? Was there was there a mentor that did that for you? Was it something you figured out on your own? I figured that out on my own pretty much. Mm. Uh, there were all these little pockets of climbers everywhere. Uh, at that moment, since I was in Delhi, I connected with the, the other climbers in Delhi. There was another outdoor wall by the IMF, which is our apex mountaineering body that happens to have a wall that they don't care a lot about. But mm. um, that place really brought together a community for Delhi climbers. and. You know, that's where more experienced climbers played and they were going to Humpy and they were planning trips to Badami. And I was like, well, I think I saw very early on that indoor climbing is just a means of being more prepared to do outdoor climbing, Mm. which I totally thought is the real shit. Yeah. Yeah. From get go, I was like, I want to do this outside, but... Then I went to Humpy and you don't have time to think on a route there because the crystal is, the crystals are like really, the granite's really sharp. Mm-hmm. And 
<laughs> I, I barely climbed because my fingers were, you know, so uh, torn from also my really bad footwork. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great lesson that way that you need the, the indoors. I need right. to train. I need to understand this movement. It's also something I can do way more often than doing humpy trips. What's well, interesting in the, you know, in the U.S., a lot of what I see is that there's this division between the, or at least historically there has been, that's, that's breaking down. Um, but there's been this division between the people who, who, are, who love indoor climbing and the people who love outdoor climbing. And there's almost been this um, pattern of outdoor climbers uh, looking down on the indoor climbers Again, that's that's breaking down, but the adventure side of climbing has always felt removed from the gym here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Is it more connected in India? Because you you immediately went from gym to we have there's this mountaineering association, um, and the gym is not often connected with mountaineering here in the U.S. So, is the gym and the adventure connected? Uh, I think you've asked me two things. I'll answer, my first answer is that in India as a climber, a lot, like 10 years ago when I started, you did not, despite the fact that we did have a gym, a climbing wall, we didn't have a lot of options. Like you, you Mm -hmm. had to do everything because that's, that is available. So the same climbers who are who I'm climbing with indoors are people who I go outdoors with. There's not enough folks yet who right. we can draw that line in between. And I also feel that because there is just so much outdoors that can be climbed, that can be developed, and it's such a great reason to get out. Like our indoor climbing scene isn't that. Uh, you know, like we don't have lead gyms. There's mm. not even a single lead gym that is accessible to public in India. Uh, there's gym, that's going to change soon, hopefully. But uh, we have maybe f- three or maybe five indoor bouldering gyms. So, you know, to even have a space where you can connect to the sport deeply and just keep doing it without getting bored, without you know, it becoming monotonous. Um, that's, you know, that wasn't available mm. to us, isn't available to us as much. But yes, uh, I do think that there's people who still uh, like to climb indoors. And I, I completely, I think once our commercial climbing gym started coming up in India, we had this change where who were hired at these gyms? People who had experienced climbing. All the people who had experience were like the strong climbers in the country. Uh, and they were now, they, it was their job to introduce complete beginners into the sport, which is something that was uh, not happening as organically because the strong climbers were always out climbing and their interaction sure. with, you know, the ones who wanted to climb was very minimal. You mm. would only see them crushing at our balls, you would be intimidated to go and talk to them. Uh, You'd probably not get on something that they were trying. 
you know so mm-hmm. i i think that change has changed the space to be way more welcoming and because we can't run a gym with just the 20 strong climbers in the right, country right 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 and that's definitely led us to a shift in in just creating a more welcoming space uh, in climbing and saying that hey come climb wherever you want to climb for fun yeah so when i was started climbing here in the us um the scene was already uh maybe a little bigger than what you're describing uh in india now but but it shared some similarities in that you know there were the strong intimidating climbers and they were going outside and everyone else kind of stayed in the gym and you know if you were brave enough to to talk to them or to try the things they were trying then maybe they would take you under their wing and take you outside one of the things i noticed in that scene back then especially when compared to today is that there were very few women um today that's that's shifting in a in a really amazing way and you know i said this at the keynote speakers the other night it's this this generation of strong and dynamic women who are really taking on the the history of the sport and making it their own what was it like or what's it like now in india it, is it a, a highly male dominated thing still are there many women what's it look like i can start with when i started climbing mm-hmm. and this goes back to your previous question where a climbing gym connects to a mountaineering organization where i didn't have any role models from the rock climbing community female role models ex uh, the only you know indian mountaineers female mountaineers that we could look up to was bachindri pal who was the first indian woman to do everest right so that i think reflects on how heavy the culture of mountaineering has been for india and how that has that is what climbing in india means and meant for a very long time and rock climbing has you know which started more in the 90s has had its own i would say um a bringing and that has been fueled by local leaders unlike mountaineering where a lot of it was a lot that was done was by western climbers mm. so even as we do mountaineering in our country there's a lot of western legacy that we carry our the mountains histories carry and rock climbing has been this unique challenge and opportunity to develop you know a sport in our own community in our own crags by our own hands yeah um so when i i thought a lot about how there was not like no not enough strong women who were climbing and i really wished that there was somebody who was climbing as hard as the guys mm. these guys were also my friends right but i it was really hard for me to wrap my head around how i can be like them and after one point i was like i don't want to be like them i don't I, from like i don't think i can be like them do i 
I can be my own version. Mm. But all of that was very like, it was a lonely place. And I had to have a thick skin and just move on from whether it's uh, casual comments or uh, things that were unsolicited like said to me about my climbing or my future or just anybody telling me what I should do, right? right? right. Which is completely unnecessary. I mean, I feel like I, it's okay that it's happened with me and that's my journey and I'm proud of it, but it nobody deserves to go through that. Right. And in that process, I figured that I started moving towards becoming somebody who I did not have. And it's not something that I intended, but just intention, unintentionally by holding my own space and having that thick skin and being like, you can say whatever you want. I'm still going to be here doing my thing. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it just happened. I love that. Um, I want to dig into so many parts of that. But first, I want to know, you said it wasn't intentional, but now you're obviously cognizant of it you know you understand that you're in that position do you feel pressure being in that position um i do i think i think it comes in the way of my me being my own person and then me having to be somebody for someone else Mm -hmm. and i'm still uh, pretty goofy and like I make mistakes. I'm not, I, I'm not the best. I'm not the ideal role model by like, you know, <laughs> ideal role model standards. I drink beer. That's not good for an Indian woman. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we have a very, you know, our culture has this idea of really idolizing people who are good. Yeah. at something yeah and just because i'm good at rock climbing doesn't mean i have to be good at everything especially making chapatis mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is expected out of a classic uh you know indian woman but uh it's the pressure is there but because i'm con- cognizant of it i manage uh i manage it but i it does scare me like for example just the fact that i am trying to do i am scared of saying my project out loud of like, you know, mm. doing an 8B plus route, a 514A. And why is that? Like, why should I be scared of even trying to push that? And somewhere it's also like the pressure of what my climbing community then ex- will expect out of me. Yeah. And um, failing to, you know, meet those expectations. And that's just the web of expectations, which it is. But I want to answer, I want to add to my answer that you said, asked previously about the climbing, the scene, because I didn't actually give credit to the women who were doing something. It's Mm -hmm. not like there weren't any women. So I think that what happened in the 90s when the guys started climbing, Mohit Obroy, Dini, a bunch of folks from the Bangalore scene and the Delhi scene, was that uh, the few a few of them who had, who were not stinky enough to have girlfriends and keep them. (laughs) Um, You know, they had the partners and they came out climbing with alongside. And these women were the few female climbers at that 
moment. Some of them are still climbing to this date. And um, that is very, uh, like just meeting them is so wholesome, just to know mm-hmm. that somebody was there. Um, and I think there was a big gap after the 90s where, uh, 90s where the rock revolution sort of started happening in India, where a generation kind of got more caught up with the comp climbing scene. I think that's when the boom in the US was also happening. So, you know, in India, it must have been like, what's the next big thing? Mm-hmm. And we started having competitions. And somewhere along the line, like, uh, I think outdoor, there were fewer people going outdoors. There were more people doing indoor climbing. Why? Because you probably could do something from getting a medal. You could show it somewhere, get a job. Sure. Because climbing was still, recreational climbing was still a very privileged thing. Yeah. Or it was something that you did because it, you know, defined you. And that was, they, these were individuals who were extremely passionate about it. But still, making a life around climbing was very, um, wasn't heard of. So, uh, bet- I think the uh, 2000s was when we had some strong um, female rock climbers. I know I knew of them only because I was also a comp climber when I started because everybody was doing it. You know, when we didn't have options, like I said earlier, we just did what everyone was doing. And sure. what when the opportunity arose to go outdoor climbing, we did that. If there was a comp happening in Delhi, you just did it. I, my first comp, I fell from like the third lip because I just learned how to put a draw in and <laughs> clip the rope. But that's fine, you know. <clears throat> um, so That's uh, one of the things that, when when I first became aware of you, we we chatted on Instagram briefly a year ago or something, and I was looking through your Instagram, and I'm like, "Wow, this woman does everything, every style of climbing possible. You're doing it all the way from comps to big mountain style climbing." And I feel like in the U.S., people tend to choose one and be defined by that thing. I am a boulder. I am a sport climber. I am a crack climber, whatever it is. It's interesting to hear that you didn't do that because there weren't that many options. You know, if you're, if you're a boulder, how much do you have to do? <laughs> you know, that's what it sounds like you're saying. How important was it for you and how much did you look toward those women who were there and doing it before you? I did not find them until much later because mm. that's the time when the community wasn't so connected. Like talking about Got climbing it. wasn't a big thing. And um, I only met, like if I look up, if I Google women climbing in India, I don't, I wouldn't probably find a lot of things. Mm. But so it's a good thing too, because I got to actually see them. I got to compete with them, Shanti and uh, Suma. And that was, um, yeah, that was that was a cool way to, you know, meet somebody who's, who'd been doing this from before you. And uh, there's something I want to say. Mountaineering. Yeah, I think the reason why my approach to climbing was just you know, different is also because 
I started as a mountaineer oriented climber. I wanted to do mountaineering and then I broke it down to rock climbing and I was like, okay, I need to excel, excel in all these things. And because at this point I'm in college and I, I have to, you know, train and the idea of training, understanding all of that meant that I do whatever I can when somebody's taking me. And if there's somebody who's better than me at any of these disciplines, I will like try to gain from them. Mm -hmm. So I was training indoors at the walls. And uh, when the opportunity arose, I was bouldering outside. But also because, you know, there's Humpy, it's, it's a developed bouldering mecca. And uh, of course, I would want to go there even if, if, even if I was a sport climber. But like you said, I didn't have the option to choose to be a sport climber. We just went where there was climbing. That's what people still do. People um, take up the sport. If they get exposed through the gyms, they, um, you know, find what is appealing to them. Usually it's bouldering at the moment. Like I think across globe, across the globe too, bouldering is what is picking up so much because it's the easiest to access. Um, that, I have a question about that, actually. You, a few minutes ago, you said you're nervous to put your goals out there. But then five seconds later, you, you said your goal. And I think, you know, that's obviously something you've been wrestling with a little bit and, and are figuring out. Does that stem from there not being a really clear progression of things to do up to that level in India. Um, and I ask this because when you look at something like Red River Gorge in the 2000s, when I was, when I was trying to climb harder grades, there was almost a ceiling where there weren't many of the next grade to choose from. But then if we look at you know, the Frankenura where Alex Magos learned to climb, there's something like, you know, 2000 routes harder than 8A plus, you know, so lots to choose from at every grade. Is there much to choose from to progress in India for you? <clears throat> Thanks for uh, noting that. I think that's, you've kind of answered uh, that question yourself because... Mm. That really is the reason maybe why I, what, that is one of the reasons why I hesitate in saying my goal out loud. Because it's hard to justify that I can even try it or I can like think about climbing it. Because if you ask me my next, my last, my hardest send, it's like a, a red point at a 7B plus. And that was like a while back. Um, but that definitely is how things are in India right now. Like in Badami, which is our most developed sport climbing crag, crag which has these harder routes, which you can uh, sort of project. Uh, there's, there's maybe, there's of course Ganesha 8B+, which is like the most. That's the famous yeah, one. The yeah, the famous one. And I remember uh, one of our... Uh, Pioneer climbers Mohit put up a reward of 50,000 Indian rupees for anybody who climbed that mm. route just so that, you know, there were people who had that drive who were like, 
but these are also people who really need money right, right. yeah because climbers are not uh rich at all well that's that's everywhere but especially in india a lot of climbers come from uh backgrounds that will even if there were routes they probably wouldn't be able to travel to those places and mm. climb those routes as much um so not having that sense of progression is one of the many reasons for these kind of goals to feel inaccessible but now that we have like around me there is a network of strong women uh comp climbers and like outdoor climbers the people the women that i run claw with are you know some of the strongest climbers in the country vrinda lekha gauri and i am i'm like 100% sure that they can like really do kick ass sense mm-hmm. if they were if more of them were around the climbs yeah right and uh there is still a sense of intimidation for trying hard things for setting a hard goal i think i, I don't know i maybe it's because we carry some sort of a baggage where we feel like yeah i know exactly what it is it's us watching videos of this 18b plus route and mm. seeing the kind of people who do it right sure it's all of these really ripped strong also very skilled athletes mm-hmm. i remember page classen came and exactly. did the first female ascend of the route and i remember looking up her ape index and thinking <laughs> eh, still a long shot yeah but you know it's it is still a dream to do it and for the longest time i was like no i will make do with what i have because that's what that's how you endure right mm-hmm. stop complaining and just make the most happen out of whatever is in front of you but no you know like it's 2022 yeah and i created the means to get out and find something that i can actually enjoy doing and i'm not pressured into doing because you know for whatever reasons so yeah i think that does that answer your question somewhat? absolutely <laughs> and and i love that attitude when you when you first said make do with what you have and you know kind of just deal with it i thought really is that is that where we're headed and then then you flipped it and i i want to know how do you take and how are you because i know you are taking that attitude of we don't just accept what we have and deal with it uh we we build more things for ourselves how are you taking that further you mentioned claw i know you're working with the climbing initiative um just glancing around on the internet you've worked with all sorts of organizations so it's obvious that you're not just focused on i want to climb harder um number 1 why are you doing that as well instead of just focusing on climbing harder and number 2 how is that attitude of we don't just accept what we're given play into it uh 
I feel like I'm only asking you double questions here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, can you tell me, can you repeat the first one again? Yeah. So number one, how are you and why are you not just focused on climbing harder? Why is it important to you to work with these organizations also? Because there is a need for it. And because the only way to grow climbing means pushing these things, pushing the agenda outside of just climbing hard. And when I was starting out and trying to get better at things, I saw a lot of these gaps. I learned a lot from that journey. And I think that I can, you know, fill up those gaps in whatever capacity. If I can do that, then I will try. I also, you know, it's a small community. And the good thing about that is that you know everyone. So mm. maybe because I was also speaking and like sharing my adventures and uh, as I was doing them, uh, I managed to connect with like other folks who were doing the same things and whatever wherever I saw that there were people working towards a community I didn't I haven't like played a role in all of them obviously I'm not the godmother of climbing in <laughs> India at all uh, I'm the wicked aunt no I'm not I, please don't put this in I'm not that old to be an aunt <laughs> can, can we just call this episode the wicked aunt no I'm just 29 I'm not an aunt yet <laughs> well when I started I was used to being the youngest everywhere yeah. that was because I was like 21 and I'd you know find all, all my let's say aged mentors older mentors but uh, suddenly I'm like not the youngest one anymore and that really <laughs> that's something I think about but um coming back to the the point I, yeah I think that there was just such a need to build community but it's also something that I couldn't do alone and there were places where India is super diverse I I can't go to Bangalore and create community I'm from Delhi so I did mm. what I could around where I was mm -hmm. and when somebody needed needed help, then I offered it. But well, uh, you say I can't go there and create community, so I'm doing it here. But here you are in the U.S. I just watched you get on stage and have a whole room full of people in the palm of your hand. So I think you can, and I think you are going other places and creating communities and building building it what it is you want to see. Mm -hmm. I think it's really powerful to watch and it, you know, it occurs to me that there, while there were other women when you began, and I'm sure those women were doing amazing things, there are always going to be people who are selfishly focused on their own climbing. And that, you know, for some people that's totally fine. There are other people however, who, while they want to improve their own climbing, they also want to, and you said this in the very first sentence of your answer, you said to grow climbing, not, not to grow climbing 
for myself, not to grow me as a climber, but to grow climbing. I think that's the, that's the real important thread here is that you're, while you may not yet be the, the wicked aunt of climbing in India, <laughs> that's what it looks like you are forming into this, this person who wants to build this much bigger thing. Yeah, I think now that I think about it, maybe at some point I must have, you know, asked myself, oh, we don't have like enough routes. Like say, I want to climb something hard in India, but there's not a lot of routes. If I want to get people to bolt some more routes, I don't know how to bolt. So I need to find somebody who can teach me how to bolt, but mm -hmm. then I also need to be strong. So I need somebody who can teach me how to be stronger, how to be more skilled. and in that process, that process is community building where we are just working together and exchanging skills. And because somebody did that for me, I, uh, you know, feel that that needs to be done. It was really just filling up gaps, like all the things that we, mm. like I, I didn't have, uh, and there was scope to create that. We did that. And the, one of the biggest things that I didn't have was, female friendships in climbing, apart from my one good friend, Rinda, who I trained with the most in Delhi. And we still, to this date, do it. But just until the Boulder Box Climbing Gym, which she founded in, um, uh, you know, in Delhi, which is mm. one of is the best space to practice climbing in India. Uh, until that gym opened, we were still the only two women in Delhi uh, who were like training and going outdoors climbing on our own. Wow. Otherwise, a lot of, and this was also happening independently somewhere in Bangalore maybe, sure. you know, and other places. But a lot of the culture was still the same as the 90s where I, what I saw was that the women were being taken out by their friends. And for me, who really wanted to, my goal, one of my life goals is to climb in the Himalayas, to put up alpine routes in the Himalayas. That means that my sense of independence was very strong from the beginning. And I really wanted to learn how to do things on my own. Mm. And when I started doing that, that's when I wasn't, I was no longer letting people tell me what to do. And I think that it was so strong and powerful, that feeling that I wanted other women to have it. So. You know, just like, I can't tell you, I can't explain it exactly, but that one trip, which is catalytic for also Claw, where me and Rinda went to Badami in 2018, which is when I did my hardest sport route mm -hmm. and looked at my other project in 8A route that I was going to come to. We were, uh, we were an anomaly. You know, you wouldn't see that. It's not some. It's it's not like something I want you to applaud, but we felt that just by holding that space and doing that without having to like talk about it, it was important. It was important for us. It was important for anybody else who came climbing to see that oh, there's two women who've come climbing on their own. They know mm -hmm. how to do their shit, and I really wanted to amplify that. And I think that's one of the reasons why. Claw holds such a special heart because uh, such a special place in our hearts because we want to empower women to be doing this, but on their own. 
especially on their own and then make whatever you would like out of it. Yeah. You know. I think that comes across immediately when when you start talking. You know, I watched it happen on stage the other night. I'm I'm watching it happen right now. There doesn't seem to be and this is sort of what I was have been fishing for like is there a division for you between your climbing and all of this other work that you're doing and I don't think there is and I think that's that's what makes it so powerful and real is that you just see it all as one big thing I I want I want to climb hard too but I also want everybody else to have these opportunities to climb hard and these options to choose from and and I want them to see a woman doing these things on her own so that they know they can do it on their own as well. I think that's, I mean, admirable is not even the, the, a strong enough word for, for the attitude that's behind it. Um, it feels like punk rock to me. Um, <laughs> that's what it feels like. And, and I fucking love seeing it. You're sitting here in a climbing initiative shirt so i'm curious what are the challenges that you're seeing in your community that that organizations like the climbing initiative can help with um well since i was initially since my climbing journey i've been intentionally aware of the global climbing scene mm -hmm. and you know some of the gaps that i saw in why climbing isn't a big sport uh well one of the reasons is because we're a young community of climbers mm -hmm. it's it's got we've started doing the sport much later right and so we don't have a big market where brands can exist where brands can give sponsorships where there can be athletes who can flourish. I mean, if I think about the rock climbing, um, like athletes who have made a living out of just climbing, because a lot of really strong climbers are trying to do that, but there is no blueprint for it. Mm -hmm. And it is very difficult to access this global network which plays so heavily in front of us all the time because I have also grown up, uh, not grown up, but grown looking at the magazines and the, uh, the covers and reading articles about the athletes that are my heroes. But I was like, how do we bring that for us? How do we create that for us? Uh, in India. And it's really difficult because you need to be in on the scene. And for, for example, when you started, you said that you, you learned, and a bunch of people learned a lot about climbing in India at this, um, in this presentation that I did the other day. But you wouldn't just randomly Google climbing in India. Oh, hey, let's look at like, if there's any climbing in India. So, there is this need for people from our community to be seen and 
you know, for me to be on that stage with Tommy and Brittany and like climbers mm. who are the faces on these magazine covers that we all are used to seeing, that was made possible only because of a, an organization like TCI where they found us, they seeked me out while I was trying to seek someone like them out. Mm. And they were like, oh, we hear you and we want to amplify what you're saying. And there was a point where I was like, I'm not sure I can speak for everyone. I'm still, sure. remember, I'm still the crazy one. So I, I, <laughs> I can say something stupid or, you know, something that's n not profound all the time. I do that. Every single one of us. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm also, I was not uh, very confident if I wanted to always speak for everyone because mm. I still don't know if I want to. But whatever I realized there, that whatever I have to share is also enough. It's, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Because how else would, you know, a, a place like Lander where there's so much climbing, one of, one of the beacons, one of the epitomes of a climbing town, Mm -hmm. what that looks like is to share what, you know, to see that for me coming from a place like India where we're still climbing is fringe and climbing is new. It's, and to show them over there that, hey, there are still communities, there are, there are still places where climbing is developing at this pace. There's enough climbing. There's, Maybe fewer climbers, but they're doing the exact same things. Yeah. And that's powerful. And I don't know how to connect the dots, but TCI does. Mm. And uh, one of the things that I have in this past weekend after talking to brands, because one of my goals for attending this festival was also to network. And I was like, yeah, I don't like, okay, how do I do this? We need to like, you know, brainstorm about it. But I, after speaking to so many people, I realized that there's just so much need for the global brands to diversify what their athletes look like and to move away from the narrative that, oh, how strong do you climb? And that is all that defines you. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like I can walk up to, you know, the managing directors and heads and say, hey, you need somebody like us to be repping your brand. And why aren't you doing that already? Instead of being like, hey, do you think that maybe you could, mm. you know? And I've definitely gained that perspective to be able to demand what me and a lot of athletes certainly deserve for holding spaces for their own climbing communities and also taking it outside. Because I'm here educating you about ice, about climbing mm. in India, right? It sounds like you're, you're growing into or, or getting more comfortable with your power. Just... From the time that I sat in this chair, yes, definitely. Uh, Every minute. I think a lot of it is because 
of how you are helping me weave this story as well. Mm. It's all you, I, Chris. <laughs> I'm just sitting out here watching it. You're the one doing all the things. Um, you mentioned then that we're a young sport and we are. Maybe feels like an even younger sport in India. I'm just curious, are there crusty old climbers in in India like there are here who push back against this this globalization this commercialization um, of climbing this new new era of climbers are there any climbers there pushing back I don't think so that's really fucking good to hear yeah I mean these Crusty old climbers, if there's they're a lot still of them around, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they climb stuff which never saw second ascent, like never, were never repeated for years. Yeah. And now when they hear about that happening, they're ecstatic. They're mm. like, oh my God, you should go do this and that and this and that. And when we go back up there and we get on those routes, it's, insane how you know it's just like they are our stone masters and we're just like oh my gosh what were they thinking doing this back then with you know the kind of equipment like my home crag which is in Thoj around Delhi is you one of the established initially established trad climbing crags it's like the gunks but super sandbagged even more sandbagged and these like I've climbed with the guy who wrote the guidebook, Mohit Oberoi, and he would tell us about stories. That's the good thing about climbing with the old mm. crusty climbers. Although Mohit is not old and crusty, he <laughs> won't like that. <laughs> He's still pretty out and about. But, uh, you know, he'd be like, oh, we would just climb this with nuts. And maybe if there was like a, a white climber in town who just happened to be hanging around, who would usually be also a mountaineer and they'd like, just mm. do a vacation day off rock climbing uh, would give them like a friend or two. And then that route would be sent only because there was this one addition. <laughs> and then that would be all you needed. Two friends, maybe, and a set of nuts. And yeah, so it's... I think you're the youngest person ever on this podcast to use friends in that way. You mean camming devices? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think you're the youngest person ever to say friends. I love it. I'm old school. <laughs> <laughs> no, I. Can we talk about your climbing a little bit? I just want to make sure that we we touch on what you're doing um, for you, because I think you're you, you give so much of yourself to growing this community. Uh, at least that's what I'm seeing in these, you know, seemingly three minutes that I've known you. Um, let's talk about your climbing a little bit. And we don't have to go into goals. We don't have to go into any of that. But what I want to know is you started in a similar way that I did. It was all about being athletic. It was a sport. Um, I appreciated the movement. How are you transferring that into appreciating nature and the adventure and the outdoors? Because for me, that was never the reason I got into it. It's just something I fell in love with later. 
yeah, it all happened. I think I was hit by everything all at once mm. because I I went on a mountaineering expedition and I was just like, I feel so small in this landscape. I can, I need this feeling to make me a better person. So mm. every time I went climbing outdoors, I, I sought it because I needed to re-realize a lot of, you know, reconsider so many things that would otherwise occupy my brain. And because initially it was mountains that had a way of doing that, of humbling you, like we all like to say. But now it's, it can be a freaking boulder that's, you know, not even five moves, mm -hmm. where, which leaves you humbled. And I think in this day and age, it's really important to be just like to have that little slap in the face by Mother Nature. And really, she's the best teacher too. And at the same time, it makes us realize just how to tread in those spaces. It's made me so so much more um, reflective of my, of, you know, my footprints. And mm. my answer, am I in the right direction? Is yeah, yeah. I just, I just wanted to know where that connection lies for you. Um, because I think it's different for everyone, especially when you start climbing in a gym. Um, how do we learn to, and what do we get from going outside climbing beyond just the athleticism. Yeah, you can't help but notice it, no? I mean, I'm... I, I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, we see it in our claw event. We bring women out and um, most of them are from the cities. And Gauri does this uh, nature meditation where we just sit out on the rocks and close our eyes and ears and open our ears to the surrounding sounds and try and hear the farthest thing we can hear. Mm. That's the first time that I did something like that intentionally because that's something that happens organically for me when I'm out climbing, you know, but I see that people need that push. So I know where, what you mean that something that can grow on people later on but it's just so important to remind people to switch off, off from whatever mode they're on and to switch into just being present mm -hmm. and I think both nature and climbing has such a great way of being present but I think I want to also add that you know when we talk about community and climb and my own climbing especially I don't think I think I'm doing all of this so I can climb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Honestly. I, I mean, I want to be selfish. I, but the only, in order to be selfish, I still will have to do things which will leave these remnants that will become, that will add to growing the community. Yeah, I think that's really important to say. I think it's a really important part of, of any of this. We have to be a little selfish in our own love of something you know otherwise it's it's going to be this labored uh thing that's going to lead to burnout mm -hmm. um everything i do 
is selfish. I, I love having these conversations. I want to have them for myself. I would just as soon turn the mics off and have this conversation. Um, but I, but I know that it can benefit the community, and that's why I turn the mics on. It sounds like the same thing with you that you absolutely you, you love doing this. You you need the community around you. You you know, so you're going to build it, and then it's going to be there for everyone else. I think a very obvious like thought that occurs now when we talk about being selfish is that the very act of going and finding something to climb that is not in your backyard is selfish, right? Mm -hmm. When we, me, my friend Bharat and Karn went out to Spiti to look for ice climbing, um, we, you know, we went there and we we're like, oh, you guys have these frozen waterfalls and we want to climb them. That was for us. Right. And then when we see potential, we tell a, we tell the place, the locals who hold that place, that why this is good for you. But really, it's they don't need it. So many places in India uh, where there's climbing are extremely remote, extremely sensitive. They might be right next to a village that has, you know, its agricultural scene sorted out so well that they don't actually need that climbing because they don't, if there is climbing and there is tourism, it is only going to hamper the mm. environment there. That's mm. a very present reality that we have to understand and approach with thought. Because, yeah, like, like I said, I as a Delhiite, I'm not a local when I go to Bangalore or around Bangalore. Even the locals of Bangalore are not local to, you know, Badami, mm. the, the crack that is in the state of Karnataka. So it's really a selfish sport where we're like, oh, look, there's rock and then go around and tell the communities that, that this rock is great for you. But uh, no, it's just great because I want to recreate here. I want to come here and feel and like let go of all the worries in the world and connect with nature away from my home, but leave all of this impact to, uh, but, but, you know, and call all of that impact tourism. That this is business for you. Right. So that is a very heavy narrative that we have to accept as we, you know, explore and develop climbing. That, you just blew my mind a little bit. I hadn't really thought about how pervasive it's become to just assume if we come into your rural area we have the ability to bring tourism dollars to you. How great is that? Mm -hmm. It's not always a great thing. That could be completely destroying what this community has, has learned to, how they've learned to exist. That had honestly never really occurred to me that, that this thing we assume is this great, you know, this benefit we can bring may not be a benefit at all sometimes. That's so important to think about. And I think we don't think about it here in the U.S. because we've, we've spent so much of our history destroying the, the small communities that now all they have left is tourism, if we can bring it there. 
That's fascinating. Every time I try to talk to you about your climbing, you just keep <laughs> you just keep pushing it toward community again. I think there's a reason for that. Um, talk to me about your trip here a little bit and what you've seen that's different beyond just the fact that there are more routes to choose from about the climbing scene here in the U.S. versus the climbing scene in India. And what will you, what will you take away and take back to India versus let's just leave that for the Americans. They'll, they'll figure <laughs> out they've gone wrong eventually. Well, I am going to turn a week old in the U.S. like tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm asking for the big lessons <laughs> as you're a week old. Yeah. Uh, but the the climbing climbers festival has been a great uh, start, I would say. And you've asked me a tricky question because the most obvious thing, you know, you've already said that there's so much. Uh, so many of the roots here. But I think that what I get to learn is what that looks like, what a developed community looks like mm. and drag looks like, and to think whether it's needed in some of the places where we climb. Or if it, and if it is, then how do we develop that? Um, Mike, the other day at the advocacy uh, conference, gave a really nice presentation on how tourism around Lander has been uh, gaining from climbing and how climbing helps circulate the dollars to several business owners, stakeholders, mm -hmm. individuals. And, and to see that spelled out and like with all of the points together and who is the community actually benefiting was a great lesson because now I understand the model. And I think that that model is the same globally. Like you want to get a climbing place to develop, there needs to be a place to camp or at least set up a camp, bathrooms, you know, some place to that provides food. And a very Present example of that is in my home crag in Thodge, where my friends um, from Delhi Climbs, that is being led by Jamyang, uh, they did exactly that. And now suddenly in Thodge, where you wouldn't see more than like five climbers, we would always go in groups. Women couldn't go travel together because there was the risk of being harassed or God knows what. And it was a fairly unsafe space to just go to. and. It was very common to not have a pleasant experience because mm. there would be an audience that doesn't understand the sport is too curious than they need to be. And uh, they come close to your gear and you don't want that. But that's just because they don't know and they want to know. And the way of their, the way they, they want to know is a language that you're not comfortable with, but that's how they speak. Now that place has turned into you know, an every weekend climbing uh, party. And apart from the track climbing, there is bouldering there. There is there's new routes being bolted in a place with permission from our old crusty <laughs> climbers <laughs> who, are, who are now seeing that, okay, that 
all right, not all climbers can maybe enter this through trad because that's a big access issue. Mm. And how sport climbing is like, you know, bouldering is sometimes too hard. And I think that sport climbing is like the best, the, the smoothest transition for an indoor climber or a complete non-climber to trust themselves on rock and get a hang of the body movement and fall in love with the sport while feeling completely safe because that's so important. Because unlike me, who's uh, a lot of my experiences are just like scarred memories of like falling <laughs> off, like just being forced to, you know, uh, trad up roots and lead them and only onside them because you can't like, if you put up a top rope, then you're just a, you know, you, that's, that's not cool. Yeah. I've totally like forced myself to do that. I've, I've gone through that because I wanted to be solid and I wanted to endure, but that's why it took me so many years to like <laughs> climb uh, trad that is like hard trad. I still don't because I'm so scared. So I think it's a, one of the biggest uh, takeaways from, from me so far has been uh, how community can help, how, how communities can like develop into sustainable and well-rounded climbing opportunities. And how to how to maybe do that? Bring that. I'll definitely be taking that back to India with me. You know, I the other night when I was introducing Brittany Goris, I I mentioned that you know I love climbing history. Um, I you obviously love climbing history. You you just posted an Instagram post I think this morning um, about the root poker poker face Alice at wild iris and you included the, the first ascent information, um, Pete Delanoy and the year that he did it. And so you obviously care about that history too. And when I was introducing Brittany, I, I mentioned that I've seen that history hold people back um, because it's, they've romanticized it too much. Um, they've gotten intimidated by it. They're, they can't break out of the old ethics to build something new. And, and it's this generation of climbers. And I think the, the, the most inspiring thing I see from, from this generation, from your generation of climbers, is that they are breaking out of that history. They're respecting it, but then breaking forward. And... I introduced Brittany as one of the, the leaders of that. And I absolutely put you into that category. And I think it's amazing that you're, you're showing everyone, including the old crusties that are there and that they're, that that's the way forward. And now they're saying, yeah, go ahead and bolt this. You know, the way we did it may not be the best way. It's pretty incredible to be able to reach back and, and change people's minds that way. I don't think it's an accident that we end up talking more about community than about your own personal climbing. Um, I, I watch closely who the leaders of this next generation are and I think it's great that there are people climbing super hard, but those aren't the leaders of the next generation in most cases. Um, it's the people like you that are. 
So thanks, thanks so much for being here at the International Climbers Festival. And thanks even more for the work you're doing in, in building this community to look more like the thing you want to see because I want to see whatever it is that, that you've got in mind. Thanks for sitting down with me, Prana. Thank you. Um, can I add something? Yeah. Uh, it's just about the last point that you made. And it while you were saying it, it made me realize that one of the reasons why history is important is because it's being made in India right now. And me and uh, way more people than me, my friends, are doing it. And I see that. And I th- I've, uh, I see the value of why that needs to be remembered because it makes you want to, it makes you see climbing for more than just the hard climb that it is. It makes you want to see it for all of the times that it's been done and what the vision could have been for the first person who did it. And that's so important because it's one of those things that makes you aware about not just the climb, but everything around it. It's history and it's present. So my friend Dylan, who's been developing a lot of the roots in Satan, the granite place with the shitty landings, remember? <laughs> uh, taught me that how important it is to give those credits because those are needed. Mm. I love it. Well, in my book, you're you're one of those people who are going to be credited in in the next coming years as having having pushed the the way we think about this forward so thanks thank you so much for having me thanks to both prerna and veronica from the climbing initiative for making this thing happen Honestly, it gives me hope for this community that there are women like these two leading the way. Links for getting in touch with Prerna and the Climbing Initiative are right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. If you'll be in the Red River Gorge this October, Prerna will be there and will likely be partner hunting. So hit her up on Instagram. The Power Company Podcast is brought to you by Power Company Climbing. You can learn, grow, and excel with us at powercompanyclimbing.com, where you'll find links to the Power Company Climbing Academy and the Knowledge and Community Hub. We hope you'll join us. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Power Company Climbing, but not Twitter, because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this This time, 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 time
like the mic has a way of like giving me like this weird vision where I was completely zoned in. Or maybe, and it's also you. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. You that's definitely how, bring out like. Uh, that's how it should be. A lot more than, you know, what the person's probably thinking that they have in them. Thanks, Chris. That was a really comfortable conversation. Like. Stratonario.